Good evening. It's great to see all of you tonight. Hope you are doing well. Dr. Sanders, correct me if I mess up on anything I'm fixing to say. I don't want to get the church sued tonight. But a healthy heart, Now I read this on the internet today, so it just has to be true, right? But there, there's, there's, there's evidence, some evidence, obviously, that your heart is healthy inwardly by the things outwardly that can be seen. And again, this is not, uh, this is disclaimer from a complete non-professional. But things like your blood pressure is an indicator of your heart health, uh, your energy level, your uh, breathing, your resting heart rate, inward outward, that things are okay, your ability to do physical activities without getting exhausted or having chest pains. Obviously, you need to see a cardiologist and have a heart catheterization to get the best and fullest results on your heart, but there are indications outwardly of what's going on inwardly in your physical heart. And this evening in Leviticus 19, Leviticus 19, with a little more authority, I can tell you what the Bible says in this passage, this ancient passage, many thousands of years before Jesus. And, and here's our main thought tonight that we're going to build some thoughts off of. A spiritually healthy person has some clear inward and outward qualities. Uh, a spiritually healthy person has some clear inward qualities that come out of them, okay? Okay. In other words, if, if your heart is where it needs to be with Christ tonight, I, I think you would say, one, am I a Christian? If you look at these things and you just blow it on every one of these tonight, you need to come tonight and give your life to Christ. You, you need to do that. But, but many of us can, can say tonight, well, hey, I'm looking at these things and I, I know I belong to Christ, and, but I'm struggling here. These are indicators of what's going on in your heart with Jesus and then some of us may look and say, you know what, I'm not hitting perfect, but I'm, I'm where I need to be. These are good indicators from Leviticus chapter 19. Let me give you the first of these. A person who has a spiritually healthy heart, they are fair. They are a fair person. Not fair, complected. Going to give me a little laughter tonight. But fair in the way they deal with other people. Look in verse 15. You shall not do injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. Now, injustice there, you shall do no injustice. It means you should not do people in a way that is unjust or unrighteous or evil. He uses the word court. And certainly this could be for an official court or a court of the land. But it's also, it's talking about when we have to pass sentences, we have to make decisions, we have to make determinations. So this could be not just for the judge with the gavel in his hand, but it could be you as a parent, you as a person, you as a boss, you as a, a Christian dealing with other people. He says, I don't want you to be partial. You shall not be partial. The word partial means that, that you shouldn't advance or raise up or extol someone unfairly. And it's interesting. He says, I don't want you to be partial to the poor. Hmm. You should not be partial to the poor. Then he says, or I don't want you to defer to the great. The word defer means basically what partial means. It, it means to honor or show favor. The word great means someone who is mighty. We might think of a powerful as rich. 
It's pretty interesting. It's easy for us, and we've seen this in our country, and we see it all the time. People are impartial to rich people and to powerful people. You don't believe me? Watch the news when you get home tonight. (laughs) People get away with things because they have money and power and fame that you're never going to get away with. Amen? That's just the truth. And that's just wrong, isn't it? It's just wrong. God says, you don't be like that. But here's another thing. It's interesting in the Bible. He says, you don't be impartially fair or lift up or honor poor people above other people. Isn't that interesting? And and a a part of society today would say if someone doesn't have things or are they, uh, and certainly want to be fair, that's the whole point of this first point to everyone. But he says, listen, you, you shouldn't show favoritism to poor people too. You should be fair in how you deal. Folks, this is way different than the world, isn't it? God says to you and me, I want you to treat people fairly. I want you to be fair in how you deal with people. I I saw this today. It it had to be a a, a great timing for me in my sermon. I'm not going to tell you who the group is, but it's a Washington, D.C. group. Uh, An email of theirs got intercepted. Folks, be careful what you send and put out. Uh, it got in, and said they were looking for staff positions in their technology department. I'm talking about this is a NAT. Go on Google this. You'll find it. You're just not going to hear it from me. Uh, and and it, they're looking for a diverse staff in their technology department. And the, the person, the, the data service manager, a lady named Madeline, says, we are looking for a, di- a diversity, but we are not looking for straight white men. <laughs> I personally would prefer that you would not fo- forward to us straight white males as they are already in the majority. As a straight white male, I find that unfair, amen? I find it funny too, don't you? Because the group I'm telling you that's pushing that is very much for fairness, if you fit their protocol. Fairness. Several years ago, Newsweek magazine said that companies admit when they hire people, they hire better looking people over ugly people. That's good for me and not good for some of y'all, right? Oh, I'm sorry, that just slipped. 57% of hiring managers says being unattractive but qualified, you're going to have a harder time getting hired. Isn't that interesting? 68% of hiring managers believe once hired, looks affect the way the managers rate an employee's job performance. Whoa. Your looks matter more than your resume. Have a great resume and be ugly. You ain't getting hired. And 64% of the people said that they thought this was okay. That's not very fair, is it? Would you agree that's not fair? That's not right. Of course that's not fair. And of course that, that's not right. In fact, I would say it's actually, it's, it's really a, a bad, bad, bad thing. You, do you know what Lady Justice looks like? We have a picture of Lady Justice, I believe. It's hard to see there, but do you notice she is blindfolded? Do you notice that? Well, go home and look at it when you get home. Maybe hard from the big screen. Why is Lady Justice blind there, our, our eyes covered? Because we say we want justice to be fair. Folks, let, let me tell you something God said thousands of years ago, before the New Testament was ever in place. God said, listen, when your heart's right with God, you're not going to be perfect, but you're going to be fair. You're not going to treat people differently based on their color or their gender, their ethnicity, whether they're rich or whether they're poor. You're going to be fair. Does that convict you a little bit? 
Maybe not. Maybe you don't care. Well, be fair, okay? And be fair and listen to me. Give me a fair judgment tonight, okay? Here's number two. People who spiritually, their heart's right there, are not slanderers. They don't slander people. Look in verse 16, the first part of it. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. Now, don't get confused when he uses the word brother or among your people tonight. He's not talking about just to a certain people. He's talking to Jewish people in a Jewish context, but it's for everybody and all of us. What does the word slanderer there in your Bible means? It means a tail-bearer. It means someone who travels around running their yap, spreading gossip, spreading lies, spreading tales. It's a person who, whether it's by email now or, or literally getting in the car and driving around, back in that day they'd been walking from hut to hut in the village, that goes around trashing other people, trashing the cause, hurting people verbally. Would you agree with me if your heart's right with God, that's not going to be the pattern of your life? I hope so. There's a terrible trend On the internet that you can find if you were to look in a comment section under an article in a lot of different places or different cities, they have different topic or forum pages where you can go and you can be part of the discussion and be anonymous. You can be, I'm the big dog of Ruston and no one will know who you are. They may think you are. And you can say anything you want about anybody and remain anonymous. It, it tickles me and it sickens me sometimes when I read those things. How, and, and men will get back and, boy, you wouldn't say that if it was to my face. You don't know who I am. Well, tell us who you are. <laughs> that would be a way to solve that, wouldn't it? You know what? First of all, if you criticize people anonymously, you are a coward, much less a horrible Christian. But if the pattern of your life is slandering people, something's wrong with your heart. It's not an opinion here. It's the truth. I want to show you an illustration, and I can only do this because Bernard is not in the room right now. Don't tell the kids about this either. But if I squeeze this bottle a little bit, what, what came out just then? Well, chocolate milk? What was it? Coke? Yeah, it could be moonshine. You wouldn't know, would you? It's moonshine. I might preach an hour and a half, Right? It's water, don't panic. Because the only thing that was going to come out of that bottle was what was in that bottle. You remember when Jesus said, what comes out of you is because of what's in you. And thousands of years before this, God said to these Israelite people, what he's saying to you and me, that people whose heart are right with Christ aren't perfect, but they're not slanderers. Listen to this. This is interesting. There was a a middle Assyrian law about the time that Leviticus was written against slandering. Here's, if you were, if you were convicted of slandering other people or the country or the cause, you got 50 blows. You had to serve the king kind of like a slave for uh, a a certain period of time. You were fined 3,600 shekels, whatever that may be. And you had to get a haircut. I thought that was interesting. It's part of your pun. I mean, did they send you the worst barber in the community and let him butcher your hair? But, but in other words, for thousands of years, people have known, man, if you, are, if you trash people, something's wrong and you deserve to be punished. If you're taking notes, write this down. Leonard Ravenhill was a great preacher in another generation. Leonard Ravenhill said, we never gossip about people we're praying for. And we never pray for people we gossip about. Hmm. 
When your heart's right, you're not a slander. We don't gossip about people we're praying for, and we don't pray about people we're gospeling about. Here's a a third thing, that when our heart's right, these are people who are not aggressive, aggressively or passively hurting other people. We don't aggressively or passively hurt other people. Verse 16, you should not go around as a slander among your people, and you you should not stand against the life of your neighbor. Now, that's a a hard phrase, and so we're going to show that to you. We're we're using the English Standard Version primarily, but I want to show you that in the New Living Translation because I think it says it better. It says, do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Look, do not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. I am the Lord. When I said earlier that that a, a person whose heart's right with God doesn't aggressively or passively hurt people, that's the passive part he was saying there. Put that, is that still on the screen, Jamie? Can you put that back up? Do you stand idly by when someone is being slandered, someone is being hurt, when someone is being made fun of that can't defend themselves? See, when our heart's right with God, we don't stand idly by and let other people be hurt. We're not passive when other people are being taken advantage of. And look in verse 18, the aggressive part. You shall not take vengeance out on anyone. The word vengeance there literally means revenge or to hit back. It, it Certainly you should defend other people. I just said that. You can certainly defend yourself properly. But this is not the out for blood, seek revenge, get even, deal with them as they dealt with me personally. You see, when our hearts are right with God, something's different about us. We don't passively allow other people to be hurt or to hurt them, and we don't aggressively do it. A few days ago in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a, a woman was knocked out in a horrible thing that goes on today called the knockout game. Have you heard of the knockout game? None of you have heard of the knockout game. I'm worried about my church. You need to hear about it. It's a terrible, terrible thing. It's where young people, probably 15 to 25, go around looking for an innocent person, could be a woman, and they sneak up behind them and hit them in the face to try to knock them out. Isn't that a horrible thing? And here was a lady, and this is caught on camera, A grown man comes, sneaks up behind her, hits her in the face, and knocks her out. And as she's laying on the ground, other people come up, and some of them rob her. Others of them use their phone and take pictures and all walk away. No one calls the police. First of all, the guy who did that, you you don't have to wonder about his heart, do you? But you know what? You really don't have to wonder about someone's heart who would rob someone who'd just been knocked out. I'm not sure you have to wonder about someone's heart who would take pictures of someone who had just been criminalized. And I'm not sure you'd have to wonder about someone's heart who would walk off and not even call the police. You see, God says when our heart's been touched by God, it's, we're different in how we deal with people. We don't aggressively or passively hurt people. Here's the fourth thing. When, when our heart's right with God, we're not someone that's full of hate and grudges. And obviously, these things go hand in glove together. Look in verse 17. You should not hate your brother in your heart. The word hate there means that, that you consider someone odious. Don't you love that word odious? Go home tonight and 
lift up your little kid's arm and go, you're odious. They'll learn a new word. They'll go tell, call their teacher that tomorrow and get in trouble at school. Someone that you, that you uh, uh, hate, an enemy. Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge. Boy, what a phrase that is, to bear, to bear a grudge. It means to cherish your hatred, to cherish your bitterness, to cherish or nurse that wound. You, you know, when you, you say you're going to nurse a wound, you would, you would take care of it, wouldn't you? You might put hot on it or cold on it and change the bandage and put peroxide. Uh, you nurse a baby, you feed it, you take care of it. To nurse a wound is to, is to pull the scab off, isn't it? It's to constantly go back and think about that hurt or that bitterness. And God tells us, listen, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Listen, if your heart's right with God, and, and, and see, this may be the one right now some of you are struggling with. You may be saved, but you've you got to deal with this. If God's in you and God's coming out of you, you, you can't be someone full of hate and, and bitterness and grudges. This is a, a letter that I think would probably echo many of our thoughts. A man wrote his neighbor, Dear Frank, we've been neighbors for six tumultuous years. When you borrowed my tiller, you returned it in six pieces. When I was sick, you blasted rap music in the neighborhood. When your dog went to the bathroom all over my lawn, you laughed. And I could go on and on, but I'm certainly not one to hold grudges. So I'm writing this letter to tell you that your house is on fire. Cordially, Bob. You get that? That's how Christians, we do grudges, isn't it? We, we know how to do it properly without it looking like we're really mean or we're hateful. When your heart's right with God, you're going to struggle, but you don't let it be dominated by resentment and grudges. Let me give you a fifth thing. When our heart's right with God, we seek to help other people. They are people that seek to help other people. Verse 17, a strange little turn in this verse, and we're going to read it in the English Standard and the NLT. And the English Standard says, Don't hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Let's look at it in the New Living Translation, Jamie. Do not nurse hatred in your hearts for any of your relatives or anybody. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. A lot of, that's a full sermon right there, our sermon series. Here's what God was saying to them. See, some of us right now, we are mad at people, we're bitter at people, but we don't, we talk about them, we slander them, we we don't deal with the issue. God says, listen, when you love people, your heart's right. You're, you're going to struggle. But you, you need to go to them and talk about it. You need to go to them and deal with it. And, and to talk about it means you're going to listen and you're, you're going to hear. But you're trying to redeem the situation, if, if possible, privately, in love. And, and I'm going to tell you from experience, this doesn't always work. First of all, sometimes people won't meet with you. Sometimes you meet with them, and it's crazy. But you know what? If it goes crazy, let it be on them, not on you. God says you try. When, 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 you, when your heart's right, you're trying to help people and redeem people. You, may, you can't always do it, but that's what you are trying to do. This is a true story. It happened in a church in another state years ago. A lady named Janet, single mom, came to church. 
with her two little boys who are nursery age. They go to the nursery. She drops them off. She goes to church. She comes and picks them up after church. And the nursery lady tells them, your boys broke some things in our nursery this morning. This unchurched, unchristian Janet, was her name, lets a cuss word out <laughs> in church. She gathers the boys. Everybody's embarrassed and humiliated. And she gathers the boys and she leaves. They're pretty sure they'd never see Janet again. And Janet later on said she was very sure she would never go back to that church again. But a lady who worked in the nursery asked if they had Janet's contact information. Of course, the nursery director was like, why? What are you going to do? Well, she wrote her a letter. And she said, it was so good to have you with us Sunday. I know what it's like to have little boys and wild little boys and what got broken can be fixed and it wasn't a problem. I'd love to meet you for coffee. Please come back to church next Sunday. We'd love to have you. Guess what? Janet came back that next Sunday and the next and the next and the next and she found Christ. And years later, she was the director of the nursery where she cussed in the first time she was there. And they found out years later that that first time she came to church, a broken, lost woman, she was also just getting out of rehab for a heroin addiction. Handle people well. Some people aren't going to handle it well back, but that's on them. When we love people, we're trying to redeem people and help people. There was a farmer in Nova Scotia. I thought this was pretty neat. This part of it wasn't neat, but he had some tools stolen. Then he had some pigs stolen and some chickens stolen. He put out an all-points bulletin. Here's what he said. If you'll come and just own up to what you did, I'm going to hire you. Obviously, you need money, you need food, and you need a job, and I'm going to teach you how to be a farmer. I'm going to put you to work, and I'm going to pay you. That's trying to redeem something that's broken, isn't it? You see, when, when our hearts are right with God, we want to do everything we can even in confrontation, to try to bring people back if possible. And and here's where it all comes together. Listen, the person who's got these qualities, they they have a a God-given heart of love. And and I put that there because that's a summary, a God-given, and I'm going to explain that. In verse 18, the end of it, but you should love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summary. Jesus defined your neighbor as, as everybody. What does it mean to have a God-given heart of love? It means this, that if you are truly saved, Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit to come live in you. And one of the qualities that the Holy Spirit lives in you is you love other people. God changes your love thermostat when you get saved. And the reason some of us don't love is we don't have God in us. We're religious, but we are not saved. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, look what these powerful little verses says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, what does it say? Does not know God, because God is love. Folks, he's not talking about perfection, and I say this a lot. He's talking about direction. You're not going to be perfect in these things until you go to heaven. But the bottom line is, is that if God's changed your heart, if he's come into your heart, he's given you a heart of love for other people. It's not a gift. It's it's a transformation by the Holy Spirit that he's given you. Why just don't have the gift of love? No, you're lost. (laughs) 
And maybe tonight, as you look at these things, that's the problem. You need to come when we stand in a moment and give your life to Jesus for the very first time. Come and do that this evening. Maybe you're here and and you would like to join our church. We would love for you to. You can do that after church or you can come in a moment when we stand. Christian, some of you, honestly, you're doing well with these things. Not perfect, but you're doing well. You keep it up because, man, it is so easy to get off the track here. Others of us aren't doing very well. We're making excuses. We've got reasons. But the bottom line, when we're not where we need to be here, it's because something's wrong with our spiritual heart. That's a diagnosis from a spiritual cardiologist. That's right. Where you're standing or at the altar, you come, you come do business with God tonight. We'll be waiting for you. Let's stand.